This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Live and Learn with me, Dashran Johan. You're listening to our Ketuanan Pengundi of Voter Supremacy series in collaboration with Berse. This series will explore six key reforms that the Coalition for Clean and Fair Elections is championing to empower voters ahead of GE15. On the third episode, we discuss Parliament, its importance, why it's so weak today and how we can fix it. Joining me on the show is political scientist Dr. Wong Chin Huat of Bursi. Welcome to the show, Chin Huat. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Chin Huat, before we dive into how we can fix Parliament, let's first um, take some time to understand Parliament better. What exactly is the purpose and function of Parliament? We, we have to look at Parliament from both uh, national and local function. The first national function in a parliamentary system as compared to a presidential system is not lawmaking. It's actually electing or installing the government because we do not have a direct election for the executive. So the first thing is to be the electoral college of the prime minister. The second function, as most people know, that is uh, making law, passing law. And the third is to pass a particular type of law, that's budget. And this is the original functions of parliament because uh, the kings would need to tax people and the feudal lords would have to agree to that. This was from ancient England. Final functions that after installing the government, the parliament is there to scrutinize the government. That's the national functions. Now, what are the local functions? When MPs are elected, uh, from individual constituency, as in Malaysia, then people develop local expectations on parliamentary. They want them to champion the local well-beings, and that could mean allocations for development projects, infrastructure projects, and so on. But beyond that, people do have expectations that the MP should be around to be seen to shake hands, to kiss baby. Uh, in Malay constituency, there's a saying that MPs need to do KBSM. And this is not a curriculum things, but four things that MPs are expected to do to not be accused of forgetting voters after getting elected. K is Kawin, B is Pasalin, S is Sake, M is Mati. These are the four functions you need to be there to show that you are with the people. Now, as you can see that MPs just have 24 hours a day, like every one of us, this national expectation and local expectation may actually pose a a trade-off, competing demands to them. Who exactly sits in parliament when it is in session? We have to split MPs beside the speaker and his deputies into three groups. Right. The first group is those who have become government. Now, when we mean by government in the narrow sense, it's only referred to minister and deputy minister in the past parliamentary secretary. Right. These are called government front benches. Those are the narrow sense. Of course, we know that ruling parties have more MPs than those minister and deputy minister. The rest of them will sit at the back bench. And so they are called the backbenchers, 
difference between the two groups is that if you are a minister or deputy minister, you must support the government on every bill and motion. Right. Because you're part of a team. Right. If you disagree with that, then uh, you should resign. Right. That's called the doctrine of uh, cabinet collective responsibility. Now, but if you are backbenchers, if you look at countries like UK, then you actually have an option to not always support the government views or motions. Right. And you sometimes a party would issue a party with order that say you must do so. But in UK, backbench rewards, meaning backbenchers ignoring the party with order, is very common. The third group, of course, is the opposition. Mm. Now, in Malaysia, opposition just is just opposition. But in more developed countries, when you talk about opposition, they are split into both front bench and back bench. The opposition front bench is the shadow cabinet consisting of shadow minister. So their right. job is to mark the minister, like in, on football field. So one-to-one. And therefore, you have better competitions. And then you have the opposition backbenchers. When we look at parliament today in Malaysia, does it fulfil its function to its fullest? What is the reality? No. Our ministers and deputy minister, the government frontbenchers, they get the chance to perform their duty and serve the country throughout the year because it's a full-time job. But non-minister MPs, that's it, the government backbenchers and the opposition MPs collectively are known as private members in the House or private MPs. They do not get a chance to do their job full-time in the House. Why? The main reason is that our parliament meets for a very short period of time. Right. Now, for the 20 years before pandemic, so that's from 2000 to 2019, in average, our parliament, Dewan Rakyat, met only for 60 days a year. That's really low. Really low. I'll right. give you an example that something's uh, very concrete. Let's say we look at 2018. Britain's House of Commons sat for 154 days. The same year, our Dewan Rakyat sat for 70 days. So it's about half. Mm -hmm. But there's bigger issue than this. What do MPs do when the parliament is not in session? In countries like UK, they have many committees. The House of Commons has 19 committees specifically tasked to scrutinize their ministries. And they have another 10 communities to look into topics that may cut across ministry. So you're looking at 29 committees here. And anyone that, who is not a minister, deputy minister, or shadow minister, they have the chance to sit into this committee. The committees can have meeting during and outside the sitting time. So they are not just working for 154 days. Now, what about Malaysia? Before the dissolutions, our parliament had only 10 committees. And the 10 committees, they left out nine ministries, including very important ones like environment, 
natural resources, uh, human resources, and so on. And because of the smaller number of committees, and up to only nine MPs can sit on in each committee, we have 30% of MPs are left out, denied national responsibility in lawmaking or policy shaping. Right. Because they are not minister. They are not sitting in one of the 10 committees. So what do they do? They, they don't have much thing to do. That's the problem. And what actually, and you ask, why is it so? Right. I would, I would argue that this is something, uh, I wouldn't say by design, but by evolution to sustain an oligarchy. Right. Oligarchy means a small groups of people in power. Because even though that in Ning we are a democracy, you get a chance to choose your government. But our political class wants it in such a way that between the five years, you don't have much chance to make decision. Right. The power was shift after elections, after formations of government to two tiny groups of people, senior minister, and the second groups is top civil servants. So these people make decision presented into the cabinet, and the cabinet would push it through in the parliament, including laws. Laws would be drafted. Laws are drafted by the attorney general chambers at the instructions of the minister of the cabinet. And when they get to the house, they simply get passed. In, I would say, 99.5% percentage of cases that the whatever the bills did, table in parliament do not get amended. So all you see about all the shows of the debates and so on, in the house, they listen, they take notes, but they don't change anything in the law. They right. may not change anything in the policy. You use the word show, and I think that's an accurate description, or perhaps you can even call it a circus. Because in reality, it seems like a place to scream, yell, you know, throw shade at your opponents. There's a lot of screaming, but it's all just for show. Even when there are proper heated debates and arguments, the government is able to pass every bill with relative ease, regardless if the opposition brings up good points. Of course, I'm not talking about changes that require constitutional amendments. But apart from that, the government gets to pass almost every bill very easily. Was parliament in Malaysia always this way, Chin Huat? Was there a point in history where parliament was truly empowered? No. In the past, we may have certain less restriction. For example, before 1971, uh, MPs are allowed to debate on anything, including Article 152, uh, national language 153, special status of women trust, citizenship rights, and uh, Article 181 on the monarchical institutions. Or uh, before 1993, we have a Parliamentary Services Act that gives the parliament certain autonomy. However, nothing in the past can be construed as a real parliament. Why? because they never have committees other than those in-house committee to manage themselves, like house committee, standing order committees, 
Privileges and uh, Rights Committee and Public Accounts Committee. Right. They do not have anything like what we talk about the ministerial or topical committees that we have today. What we have, we had until two days ago was only 10 committees. And it was something started only in 2019. Right. So in the past, it's always been an oligarchy. We had actually some reforms after the change of government in 2018, but the Pakatan Harapan government did not go full force in pursuing parliamentary reform, I think because some of them still had this authoritarian mindset. Before we talk about the reforms that Berse has in mind, remind us, Chinhuat, why is it important for parliament to be empowered? How will it benefit the people? If you have a truly functioning parliament, then what you would expect to see is rigorous debates on policies and law. And you then go beyond just good intention. You look at the issues and you look for the best solutions. The world is so complicated that we cannot just look for, say, good guys or bad guys. Good intention can still bring about bad outcome. That's why we need deliberations. And when the parliament is not functioning, you do not have optimal deliberations. So you may have poor laws. That's one issue. Now, the second issue is when we talk about empowering parliament, we are really talking about empowering the government backbenchers and the opposition MPs. Because their job is to check on the minister and the right, minister. Right. So we, we don't need to empower more the ministers and deputy minister. <laughs> and by empowering minister, as by empowering government backbenchers and opposition MP, we are actually, we are saying that give them the chance to study, to scrutinize the ministry, to study law. And what it means is that we are training them to be policy experts. Now, what does it mean by training government backbenchers and opposition MP to be policy expert? It's to make them better minister in future because government backbenchers may one day become minister if the same party remain in power. And if there is a change in government, some of the opposition MPs would be the new minister. Right. By not by denying them the chance to learn on their job, we are basically depriving ourselves of good minister. And so don't complain that, you know, why after the change we never have good minister? Because in the past, we never have a functioning parliament. And I would argue that Pakatan Harappa in the 22 months were not fully committed to train opposition to be better rivals to themselves. On the show with me today is political scientist Dr. Wong Chin Huat of Bursay. After the break, we discuss how we can reform parliament. Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Dashran Johan, and you're listening to the third episode of our Ketuanan Pengundi series in collaboration with Bursay. On this episode, I'm joined by political scientist Dr. Wong Chin Huat of Bursay and we're talking about empowering parliament. After all, parliament is supposed to represent the voices of the people. 
So Chin Huat, let's talk about how we can reform and empower parliament. Bursay recommends four changes um, for parliament to sit for a longer time, expansion of parliamentary select committees, alternative avenues to push for laws and administrative support. So let's start with the first one, Chin Huat. Um, you talked about um, earlier you brought up how l- very little um, parliament sits in Malaysia, you know, for the past 20 years. How long should parliament sit for? I would argue that our parliament should double the time, at right. least 120 days. You have to compare ourselves to, say, countries like Australia, their parliament sits for about the same number of time, but their parliament have much less power compared to ours right. because power is decentralized to the states and territory in Australia. Right. But in our case, our state has so little power. You know, how many days that our state legislatures are having a sitting a year? The, less, the, the least one have less than a week. Right. And the longest one uh, have allowed around 20 days. That's all. Because they have very little power. Now, since the states have so little power and the power are concentrated in the federal government, then, of course, the federal parliament should have longer time. Uh, And it's not enough just to have longer time so that you have more debates. But the next thing what we really need to do is to allow the government backbenchers and opposition MP to set agenda on some part of the time. So I would call for a one-sixth to a quarter of time to be ring fence for private member businesses. Right. So if our parliament sits for normal days, six hours a day, from Monday to Thursday. So you have 24 hours. We should have at least a four-hour to six-hour slots Research for the government backbenchers and the opposition to decide what they want to do. Absolutely. I think that this is very straightforward to understand, right? Um, it's kind of ridiculous that, you know, people whose primary jobs are to be debating laws and policies in parliament are only sitting in parliament for about 60 days in a year. That needs to be doubled up, like you said, to at least 120. I think that's very straightforward and easy to understand. What I find very um, interesting is um, that Bursay has been pushing for the creation of more parliamentary select committees. You touched on it a little bit earlier. Perhaps you can dive into this a little bit more. What exactly are select committees and why are they important? Why are they important? That looks at the lawmaking process as a start. Okay. Now, we have, uh, for every bill that to get passed through, you have first reading, basically is to say, now we show you the bill. Second reading, where you have the policy debates, and then you have the committee stage, where you are supposed to scrutinize, look into the details. Then you come to the third reading, which is just a formality to say, we pass it again. Right. And then that's complete the whole process. The trick of the committee stage here in Malaysia, up until 2019, before some committees have been formed, so you basically have the same 222 MP sitting in the house. And then the difference is that now we're supposed to look into the details. Now, how likely you think that when you have 220 people 
in the house. Oh, well, that's provided there's full attendance. Most of that is probably just half. Right. Half, mm-hmm. Right. And and you 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 cannot expect real deliberations. And just now you mentioned about it's a show, and some people call it a circus. Why? It's human nature. When you have hundred people in the house <laughs> divided into different camps, there's no way you can actually have real deliberations. What you do is that you turn it into a theater to get yourself reported in the news, uh, to excite your voters, uh, to humiliate your opponents and so on. Now, in contrast, if you have a select committee that a bill has to be studied by that committee, a committee would consist currently nine, you can extend it to, let's say, 15 people. Now, with a small groups of MPs, people have to behave very differently. They have to be more collegial. And because you have a specialization now, you have a task on a particular aspect. Let's say your job is to study transportation. Now, you would have to read up, right? You have to look into the bill. And you, you wouldn't want to humiliate yourself by speaking nonsense <laughs> before another, let's say, 8 or 14 of your colleagues. Right. That and also by putting that, by being put in a committee, you train yourself, you can see that there's in the future, probably you're going to be the minister. So there's incentive to transform things. Now, more than that, a select committee can actually call in witnesses. They can call in experts. They right. can investigate issues. They can go out of the house. So what we need when we talk about committee, think of it, committee is just basically uh, a partial clone of the parliament. They can go everywhere and function. So then instead of you going to the parliament, the parliament can come to you. The committee would be their parliament delegations to come to you, to listen to you, to go to to do site investigation. By not having all this, we are leaving decisions that would affect our life, uh, the, the well-being of not just us, but our future generations, all to a small oligarchy of senior minister and top civil servants. Now, that's not good, even for them. Right. Because you have a bad decision. It could be the minister children or grandchildren who pay the price someday in the future. Absolutely. Chinhuat, when we think about the way parliament is today, proposals, as you alluded to earlier, to enact or abolish laws comes from the cabinet and then it is voted on in, in the day one right yet. But you and Bersi have said multiple times that we need alternative avenues where non-cabinet MPs can also table laws. How does this work exactly? Okay. Uh, these are called what normally known as private members' view. Right. Uh, private means that they are not representing the government. It comes down to a simple idea. If we expect MPs to be lawmakers, why can't they bring about their bill? If you, you confine to government, and that's because government have a lot of things to do. But governments are not Superman or Superwoman. 
Other MPs can do that as well. And some of them may actually have a particular passion, expertise in certain field, but for whatever reason, they're just not part of the government. Why should you stop them? Why should you underutilize your talents when you have to pay, uh, when you add in all allowance and so on, more than 20,000 a month? Right. Why don't we use them fully, right? And in the past, you have this argument that say, if you allow private member bills, then you would have people like Hadi Awang tabering uh, bills to change the fundamental characters of the government. Basically, you say private member, bill, private member bills would be abused. But we have seen that the last government uh, before 2018 actually allowed the process to go through, but stop it halfway. Right. And now they're in government. So all this argument that it is, you cannot trust private members, to me, those arguments do not hold water. We need to trust MPs and we need to trust the voters. And of course, we have to have some safeguard measure, but that shouldn't be construed as to tie the hands of our MPs. And I want to give one example of a good private member view. There was denied chance to be listened to and debated and voted on. That's the private member view on recall. Right. Paper by the outgoing MP of Pangarang, Datuk Sri Azalina uh, Osman Sai. The bill was actually drafted by my colleague at Sunway University, uh, Mr. Wo Changsi, uh, and myself. Right. And the bill offered a more flexible way out to manage party hopping, to allow voters to hold accountable MPs who commit serious offences. Right. And, uh, you know, who simply uh, escape parliamentary sittings. Right. But such people never get a chance to be debated, even though the MP who tabled that bill was law and human rights advisor to the Prime Minister. She tabled the bill, mm-hmm. two different versions, right. in September and the improved version in November. For the September bill, it was adopted in the agenda, but put right at the bottom. Right. So what it means is that by the time that the sessions ended, and this is where, why a longer time would make a difference, right? Mm-hmm. So when the time, when when the when the session ended, her view was never debated. And then when you come back uh, months later, it would be a different view. There were different agenda. Right. So that was cute. Now, the second time, her view was completely rejected, not put in, in the agenda on the, on the excuse that if you didn't have recall, there will be financial repercussions. And therefore, uh, until you get a green light from the relevant minister and for you to make the estimates of how much it costs, we, we cannot accept it. So that go back to the problem with our standing order, also to the unchecked power of speaker and deputy speaker. Right. This is why we call for uh, ring fencing of a particular tie for private members. And I would invite people to go to Brazil website and read very good research report by our parliamentary expert, 
Miss Mahabara Krishnan. Mm -hmm. So when you allow the private members, the government backbenchers, the opposition to set their own agenda, then private member bills would have a good chance to be passed through. Jinwat, what exactly is the concern here? Why are they not allowing this to, to go through? Because, you know, whether it's the concern, you know, the, the speaker or whoever can say, you know, there are financial, uh, potential financial repercussions when it comes to the recall elections. Or, you know, we look at the other extreme, the, the concern of, you know, whether... Um, Hadi Awang will come up with some extreme policies to reshape the fabric of the nation or things like that. Why is that a concern? Because regardless, even if they table, don't they still need, you know, the entire parliament to then vote on it? By extension, we're talking about the people of the country to scrutinize and, and whatnot. So why is there a concern not to, you know, go through the, the proper process? Because just because Hadi Awang comes and says he wants to do this and that and he's tabling for it, doesn't mean it's going to get passed. Exactly. You're spot on on this. Now, it come back to what I consider as the oligarchic authoritarian mentality right, right from our independence year. Our old elites have this idea that our masses cannot be trusted. Right. Because we are a multi-ethnic countries. Uh, the masses tends to be more radical. They do not think about the greater goods of all. They wouldn't want compromises. So what they have in mind is that we need to keep elections because otherwise the country cannot be called a democracy and people would reward against it. But as long as we keep the forms of democracy, the essence we can uh, make, what, we, we can adjust or modify the essence as much as we like. So what I have in mind is just for you to elect your MPs and confine your MP job to the local function. Right. That is the complaint officer, the welfare officer, as an MP put it very, very uh, bluntly, but accurately to me, to be the ATM machine. When you get the money, you think that your MP is doing a good job. When you go to the service centres, that their workers are helping you, you think they're doing the good jobs, but service centres need monies. And if the government gives enough money for them to do all these things, you're happy. You don't ask what they do in the government, in the parliament. Right? It's by distracting people. That's the problem we need to tackle. And we need to, I think what Malaysians need to do is that do not join all this narrative that put down all politicians. Because ultimately, you are putting down people that you entrust. I know that a lot of us do not trust politicians. Now, I'm a realist. I do not advocate at all to say trust your politician. I think that it would be silly to look for love in politics, uh, to expect your politicians to be sincere, let alone sanely, right? We just need them to be reliable and professional. But you need to start with that trust and say, we give them jobs to do, allow them uh, to make decisions as long as they're accountable, that we have the right to recall them if they do it wrong, right? Well, this is what we need. Don't put down the entire parliament. Don't call them crowns and so on. When is us, our passivity, 
that allowed the governments from the past, from even Tengku times, to create a toothless parliament and gives the wrong incentive for MPs to not live up to their functions. So the fourth and final suggestion by Bursi with regards to reforming parliament is to receive more administrative support. How do we go about this, Jin Huat? Now, uh, this is where one of the unfulfilled items is the government in the government MOU with Pakatan Parapan, right. uh, Parliamentary Services Act. This would establish a mini bureaucracy for the parliament itself, so that the speaker would have autonomy on who to employ and what budget to run instead of living at the mercy of the prime minister. Right. That, by having that autonomy, even though, again, people would say, how do you know that the that we can trust the speaker? Yes, you have those questions. But once you set in the system, over time, the right people would get to the right place and get things done. But by not having the right system, even you have the right person, nothing can happen. Before we wrap this conversation up, Jin Huat, would you have a final message on the importance of reforming parliament? I believe politicians can be men's and women's best friend in the idiomatic sense, but they need good house training from you. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today. That was political scientist Dr. Wong Chin Huat of Bursi. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Darshan Johan, and this has been Ketuanan Pengundi on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.